Welcome to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast where seeing things differently inspires limitless possibilities. This podcast is being brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted, along with their families. Limitless was created in order to inform, educate, entertain, and share stories from within the blind and partially sighted community in order to show the world that the opportunities for those who are blind or partially sighted are truly limitless. And now, it is my pleasure to introduce you to your host, the executive director and founder of Blind Beginnings, Sean Marcelet. Welcome back to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. I'm your host, Sean Marcelet. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. I want to start by introducing my co-hosts this week, Ishita and Nika. Welcome back to the podcast. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having us. Yeah. We have a guest today uh, who is a teacher of the visually impaired and who also started the low vision clinics in British Columbia. Welcome, Lynn Langell. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here today with you guys. We're so excited to have you. So where to start? Nika and Ishita, you both attended a low vision clinic. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. So maybe, maybe you can remind our listeners your level of vision. Sure. Uh, so I have a condition called cone rod dystrophy, which primarily affects the central field of vision. Um, so I can see general shapes and colors, um, but I'm not able to see fine print and finer details. And I have Peter's anomaly, which means that my corneas are opaque. So most of my usable vision is in my left eye and I can see shapes, colors, and light, but I can't see details unless I'm super up close. And then with my right eye, I mostly have only light and just color perception. All right. So Lynn, maybe can you explain, first of all, for anyone who doesn't know what a teacher of the visually impaired is, um, just briefly a little bit about that role. And then what the heck is this low vision clinic we're talking about? Sure, I can. I I'm in my 34th year of being a teacher for students with visual impairments, which blows my mind because it, that seems like a long time. <laughs> yeah. I, if you could see my face listeners, yeah. <laughs> I had a very shocked expression there. <laughs> it's been just an incredible career. And I, you know, I, I knew what I wanted to do. I was one of the lucky ones who knew what I wanted to do. And I, traveled across the country to go to UBC, uh, UBC in Vancouver at the time, which is the, was the only teacher program for students with visual impairments. And um, that's where I got my start in the education for, for being that teacher, specific teacher, and stayed in British Columbia and, and have had my entire career here. So um, my, my job really is to support the students in their classrooms. Um, for supporting access to the curriculum, uh, supporting inclusion uh, into the classroom so that they, they have all of the same, um, you know, access to the, what's happening in the classroom as whether it's a, something up on the board or something in a textbook or a model that's being presented. And I work with parents, I work with the teachers, and I work with the students because there's, as we know, so many specialized skills that our students have to learn in the expanded core curriculum area. And so that could be anything from learning Braille to learning specific technologies and that sort of thing. The list is, is long and varied, 
but, and my students are in K to 12 and have all different um, degrees of vision loss and all different um, abilities as far as, um, you know, intellectual, uh, academic versus more complex needs students, so. Okay, so how did the low vision clinic come to be? How did, what, what was, what is it and how did it start? Well, it's called CLVP BC, Children's Low Vision Project. And um, back in, I think it was around 2003, I was attending a, a vision conference in California. And I met and listened to a presenter who was presenting on their low vision project from West Virginia. And it, theirs was called the Children's Vision Rehabilitation Project. And her name was Rebecca Copley. And um, we made an instant connection of friendship and interest in the field. And I just said to her, like, this would be something that would be amazing to bring to British Columbia, to bring to Canada. Um, it's nothing of its kind exists in Canada. And I feel that your reasoning for having the project and the abilities that you have to provide these extra services to students within the project are, are great reasons. So that's sort of where my um, inspiration came from. Um, so I have two questions. My first question is how long does it actually take to organize a low vision clinic? Just because I know there's a lot of different logistics, like there's different technologies and things to try out and different professionals who are present. Yes, good question, because that's really what makes the project unique. So my first year was basically, we called it the fact finding year. And um, that's when we really went to all of the different stakeholders in the province who we wanted to be a part of this team. So we were looking at, you know, a vision teacher, we were looking at an orientation and mobility instructor, we were looking for an assistive technology specialist, and then of course the um, optometrist and ophthalmologist piece of the low vision clinic for the assessment, the medical assessment side of things. So. Once we were able to sort of pull together interested um, team members, um, and I was able to secure grants, financial grants from the Ministry of Education and the Ministry of Children and Families to, you know, to fund the project, we were able to, to do our first year. Um, the, the first year was actually funded by the Ministry of Children and Families to, to do the pilot. And then we um, continued and, and got further funding from education. So both those ministries fund us each year. And those are the, the people that are on the team that I, that I listed. And really the putting the, the clinics together, it's, it's been a journey. I mean, we, um, every clinic we do still 16 years later, we learn something from and we make little adjustments and tweaks. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's still a learning process for all of us to do the clinics. How much work is it actually logistically in terms of getting all the like physical items and technology? Because I remember when I was there, there were tables full of binoculars. There were tables full of magnifiers and CCTV setup. Like how much does all of that take? Yeah, so we have, um, I believe it we're up to 14 Pelican cases, which are big, heavy, black 
cases on wheels that are shipped uh, through a courier service to where we go. And we go all around the province to do our clinics. And those are all shipped ahead of time. Uh, and they're, they're waiting there for us when we arrive the day before the clinic. A few of us arrive early and we set up the room with all of the different stations that the students um, participate in. How do you choose which locations you're gonna go visit each year? Well, um, when, we, when we started the project, we really, one of the big things was to bring these services um, to all areas of the province, because what, you know, one of the issues was, is that we've got the majority of the, the vision specialists at Children's Hospital in Vancouver, where a lot of kids are sent for specific tests. And um, we wanted to be able to bring uh, enhanced vision assessment to these remote, more remote communities, but also keep the access for the project equal, even in the lower mainland. So we, we look at, basically, we looked at the different health regions. So we've got lower mainland, we've got Fraser Valley, Interior, Kootenays, North, and Vancouver Island. So we rotate through those areas and it could be, you know, lower mainland could be any of those school districts that hosts us, but we would then see students from that entire area. Um, I'm curious, Nika and Ishita, what your experience, what do you remember from attending a low vision clinic? Uh, so I've been, I believe a total of two or three times um, just throughout my time in school. Um, the first one I remember, I have a very clear memory of this, um, because it still haunts me to this day. Uh, it was, uh, this, I remember going in and there were these eyeballs, these like, uh, I think it was close to Halloween. So it was like peanut butter, chocolate eyeballs. <laughs> and I loved them. And I've been trying to find them ever since and have not been able to find them. So that's like the first memory that I have of the low vision clinic. Um, of but course it's the food. Do you remember so. that, Lynn? Do you remember those oh, eyeballs? Oh, we have them at every clinic. We oh, okay. In a, I, sit in a glass eyeball bowl, and <laughs> um, we have to stock up on these at Halloween so that we have them for the entire year for the kids, because that's the first thing they look for when they come through the door. <laughs> that's hilarious. Okay, I'm um, not the only one. Um, so that I remember that being the first. But in general, when I went there, it was just a very welcoming environment. Um, I remember meeting uh, like a lot of different doctors or professionals who deal with technology and essentially um, first assessing my vision um, and then going into what uh you know, technology or products that I could use to help make school or just general life a lot easier for me. Um, and that's kind of been the, like the theme or like the consistent, um, I would say schedule throughout each visit. Um, but things that were kind of unique to me and that I kind of wanted to ask about Lynn was, um, I remember the low vision clinic being the one time of year where my parents could come in and actually ask and learn about my condition um, and actually get like proper answers. Cause usually in doctor's offices, they're, they're, you know, rushing, they don't have the time to answer all the questions and, um, you know, give a full detailed history or anything like that. So uh, my question is when you were first like designing the low vision clinic, was that a part of the like vision to make sure that families and parents are a part of this whole process and the language that is used there is very adaptive towards them. I, I think we should just record exactly what you just said. And I'm glad it's on a podcast because I'd love for the team to hear this. 
That is exactly what we want people to come away with. Um, I was fortunate to go down to West Virginia and observe their clinics um, and with some of the, the team that I was putting together. So we had a chance to experience what they do and then we could bring it back to BC and make it our own. And, and that is a huge part of the clinic process is the time with each of the professionals at each of the stations where you're not rushed, you get a chance to be assessed, you get a chance to trial devices that work for you. Um, and we talk about improving quality of life at home and at school, not just, just for the school setting. We, we sometimes give two of certain devices so that students can have one at home and one at school. And the other piece is to work on literacy, you know, to improve literacy skills with the use of devices and technology, which is a, in the big picture, use of large print versus use of devices and technology. We see literacy rates improve more so with devices and technology. So having that time, especially with the doctors, we're finding that the parents and, and students really appreciate that extra time to sit and learn about the eye condition, ask the scary questions, ask the worrisome questions, you know, or, or learn about it. And that's what, um, it's all about educating the, the families and students and also their vision teachers because their vision teachers attend with the students and their families. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's usually how I learned about the low vision clinic. My vision teacher uh, first told me about it, asked if I wanted to go and she always accompanied, accompanied me while being there. So that was also uh, very assuring because uh, just having someone that you know there um, and who could, you know, help guide you through the whole thing, that was also really, really helpful for me. Yeah, it's um, it's a big help to have the, the vision teacher there for us as well, because they can give us a lot of information about what's happening for the students at school. And then in the end, when we have our wrap up meeting to discuss all of the findings from the, the visit, we, you know, we ultimately send a report to the family and the school that outlines everything that we discussed. And that goes directly into supports for the student based on our recommendation at, at school. So it works really well that way. What was your experience like, Nika? I went to one low vision clinic and I was, I believe 11 when I went. And something that stood out to me was that they made no assumptions about how much I could see because a lot of the times people think I can't see at all or think I see way less than I do. For example, one of the first things I did, one of the first stations was trying out different magnifiers and they didn't just give me a high power magnifier to start out with assuming, oh, she can't see very well. She, uh, They actually started me out from the lowest magnification and had like a piece of text and they were like, can you read it? And I kind of progressed more and more until I found the right magnifier for me. And there were different ones. There were some that were just glass and they weren't technology based. There were ones that had a light. Uh, for me, the proper one that works for me was a high powered mini magnifier that had different contrast settings and they taught me how to use it. And I also got to have one to keep and take home for free. Same thing with the monocular. They gave me the lowest magnification to start with and asked me to look at different things until I found the perfect monocular type that fit my needs. 
And that was actually when they found out I saw way more than I did because granted, I can't really see very well and I'm on the lower kind of end of being able to see. But something I remember doing is they put an iPad underneath a CCTV. And I distinctly remember playing Angry Birds. Like I destroyed those green pigs. Um, And that's kind of when they were shocked. Even my parents, my parents were watching me playing like video games. It was intense. And they were like, oh my God, she can actually see the different components of an iPad screen and actually knows where to put her finger and where to like shoot the birds and what angle to do it. So they also discovered a lot about my vision. And then we also met with some doctors who talked about an experimental surgery for my condition. And back then, this was nine years ago. So this was very new. And now nine years later, I'm actually on the track to do that procedure that they were talking about in the first place. That was actually really cool to see proof of that. Wow. Oh, Nika, that is so exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we've had some really special, well, all the kids are special, but some, some situations really stand out and it, it speaks to the necessity for these clinics to happen in communities settings, because we've, we've seen students that might not necessarily, um, that can be tested, but might not necessarily be able to communicate that there's something wrong with their vision. And, We've, we've discovered retinal detachments and um, cancers in the eye that would may, might not have been detected um, until much later. So those are some of the really poignant situations we've had, but also lots of, of really great stories from students like you both who have told us how what we've done for them has helped them outside of the clinic and school setting, you know, like personally. And uh, we just love hearing those stories. And that's, that's why we're doing what we do. The other, the other really great benefit of the clinic is that the students get to meet other students at the clinic that are visually impaired. And as we know, through Blind Beginnings, this is, this is so important and to connect students together. And sometimes we'll even try to put appointments together of students with similar eye conditions, if we can. That's awesome. And then the parents would get to meet each other as well, right? Yes. I was going to say, I remember, I think my first uh, visit, I was very nervous because I was a very shy kid and I did not like talking around adults. I think like past doctor's appointments really just made me realize that talking to professionals just gave me a lot of anxiety and walking in and just seeing the other kids and getting to talk to them just made me feel really at ease as well as just the overall staff. They were so welcoming and so um, just in tune with, you know, understanding that it might be my first time and I was nervous and just trying to make me feel better. Um, I loved, I absolutely love that atmosphere that the Low Vision Clinic has. Yeah, one of the questions that I ask the students, I'm usually the first person that the student and family meets when they come through the door. And one of the questions I ask is, if there was something that you would like to be able to do, but you don't think that you can because of your vision, um, what might that be? And we get all kinds of incredible answers. And the reason we ask that question is because often it's something that we can help with that the student really didn't think there was help for. And we will 
do our best to come up with a device or a solution, if at all possible, to, to bring that into the student's life as a possibility. Can you give some examples of some of the things people have wanted to be able to do that you were able to offer a solution? Sure. Um, one of them that stands out to me is a student in a rural area who wanted to be able to go hunting with his father. And he didn't feel like he could see through the, the sight of a gun to, to go hunting. And we actually were able to get him a special device to wear over his eyes that allowed him to look through the, um, the sight of a gun so that he could go hunting with his father. Um, the other one that stands out to me is a student who really enjoyed music and wanted to take a band or an instrument in school, but didn't feel that um, they could see the music, um, the paper music. And, and again, we were able to come up with, with a solution, a low tech solution for that. Do you remember I, what our, our answers were? <laughs> I'd have to look them up. I'd have to look <laughs> I looked you both up and I, I know we saw Ashita twice and we saw you once. And I can still remember you sitting and playing that Angry Birds game. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like mine would be like, I want to read a book. I, I feel like I was a very simple and easy to please kid. And there are a lot of ways to do that. So I, I don't, mine's probably not very memorable. <laughs> Yeah, now I'm like really curious. I do get, I, I get that music question quite a lot or I see it also posted. We have a Facebook group for parents of my, my, you know, my child's learning piano and they're trying to see the music and they, they have to lean forward in order to read their music or even playing an instrument. I played the flute so I could bring, you know, I could bring the music stand right up to my face. Yeah. Um, but then in the jazz band, I played the trumpet where you can't do that because right. the trumpet's out in front of you. So yeah, if there is a solution <laughs> for that, I, I need to know it because people yeah. are always asking that. Yeah, we, we try our best. And, um, you know, what's really neat for us, because we've been doing these clinics since 2005, um, we've seen students that have come to us from kindergarten and then we see them as they're graduating. We've been around long enough for that pleasure and um you know we'll look back in their files and say well when you were in grade two this is what you told me that you enjoyed doing and um you know whether it was angry birds or uh you know music or tv games video games and we kind of walk through their history and where they've come from and it's it's very gratifying for all concerned to have that that experience when they when they go to their last clinic there's also a mobility component, right? So it's not just like, how are you able to read, but you, I, I, I've observed on the fringe of one yeah. of these clinics and seen the mobility instructor taking the child for a walk and assessing them while moving as well. Is that correct? Yeah. So we, we have some pre-information that we, we have given to us in the forms before we see the students about their mobility skills and Sometimes their OM instructor is with them, sometimes not, but our OM instructor is able to take them outside, do a mini, mini assessment and trial um, distance aids, so binoculars, monoculars, and also sun filters. Um, so we, because different eye conditions benefit from different colors of tinting. So we provide all of those things to the students once we narrow it down, what works best for them, for their mobility. 
And then we're, we've actually just started dispensing um, ID canes, not not long canes for that require really specific, um, in, uh, you know, instruction. But we we have sent students home with ID canes to to begin to learn to use for that as well. I suppose we should clarify that in order to qualify to attend the low vision clinic, you you have to have some vision, correct? Yes, like our criteria basically is students from K to 12. In the, in the BC school system, we see students from private schools, um, Christian schools, all of the above um, from K to 12. And the students basically have to be able to be tested with letters or symbols. So they need to be able to look at an eye chart and match and help us determine their level of vision. And they have to be able to benefit from the use of low vision devices so that we can, you know, dispense these to them. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if uh, a child or a student would like, how, how, how do you choose who gets to go or how are referrals made? That's the hard part. <laughs> Although, be, well, we, we've sort of a product of our own um, good work. Our referrals are our lists are long and um, and certainly for certain areas of the province where populations are greater, but we do have an online referral process off of our CLVP website. And typically it's a vision teacher that will send the referral in, but sometimes we get referrals from doctors and families, which is fine. And we require an eye report to be attached to that referral so that we can have a look at what this, the situation is for that student. And then we have a committee within the team that works to really um, look at the reasons for the the clinic, for the student to come. It could be that they're brand new to the system. They've never been to a clinic. It could be that they're transitioning to high school or middle school or out of school and they need some some review. So it's really an individual basis. um, And we try to see as many students as we can. Typically, we can see a maximum of 20 students in two days. Okay. I distinctly remember being really stressed out about like, I was worried I wouldn't be like, I don't know, good enough isn't the right word. But when I was 11, I'm like, what if I don't get in? And back then I was like a total goody two shoes. So I'm like, oh, if I don't get in, it means I failed the test. I'm going to like fail out of school. Like, oh boy. (laughs) Well, we we really try to do our best. Um, Unfortunately, with the pandemic, we I uh, have not had a clinic since the pandemic began. So we are we're planning our next clinic, our very first one in two years for March of 2022. And we're excited about it. Uh, and we're having to take an approach, we're calling it a triage approach to who will come to that clinic because we can't see as many of the students as we have referrals for, but we also have to take into consideration it's going to take extra time now at a clinic to to keep all of the COVID protocols yeah. in place. You know, every station is a pretty high touch area, so everything will have to be cleaned and sanitized before the next student comes to that station. So we have mm-hmm. we have some brainstorming to do on what that's going to look like for March. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was thinking about that because I remember like all the monoculars and the magnifier. I'd hold them with my hands. You'd like jam your eye against them, like they'd be pressed mm-hmm. against your face. 
Yes. Yeah. We're, we're looking to our doctors for some guidance on that because they've all been operating in their, their clinics, in their home offices. So a lot of their strategies, I think, will be helpful for the clinic, but it probably will mean we won't be able to see 20 kids in two days. We might have to reduce, reduce the number. Are you able to offer more clinics because of the year that was missed or is it, are you maxed out at four um, per year? Well, we have, we typically do six clinics in a school year and um, because we're not starting till March, we're going to squeeze in four for this mm-hmm. school year. Um, and I, I really can't speak to next year. I think we have to wait and see how this goes. Um, we will be hosting the clinics not in school district settings, they will be a community setting because there's a lot of restrictions around outsiders coming into school districts now. So we just, there's a lot of new challenges to uh, sort through. Wow. Yeah, that must be tough. Okay, so can you tell us which communities you'll be visiting in 2022? Yes. For the first part of the year? Yes, they're listed on our website. March, we're planning Vancouver Island, which will be in Courtney. Um, April is going to be uh, Prince George. And May is, no, sorry, April. April is Coquitlam. May is Prince George. And June is Kelowna. Nice. I should also mention that the, the Low Vision Project, even though it is a provincial program funded by the ministries, that I mentioned, it is housed at the Central Okanagan School District 23. So that's where um, sort of the, the center of operations is for CLVP, but there are team members that are across the province um, who, who participate at the clinics. Uh, but these provincial programs tend to go to certain school districts for administrating. So I'm guessing you've already selected the students that will be attending those clinics. Like if you no. live in, no? no, okay. Not yet. No, we're, we're accepting referrals right okay. currently. And um, we will be looking into the referrals for the Island clinic in December and get, and sort of determining which students will attend that clinic, but there's lots of time for the other clinics okay. uh, for referrals to come in. So if families live in those communities you just listed and they were interested, they could still get a referral yes. in. Yes. And like I said, I mean, if it's if it's an island clinic, we see kids from all over the island. If it's a northern clinic, we you know, we've had families travel five and six hours, especially in the northern locations to to come to a clinic. So uh, you mentioned kindergarten to grade 12. What about somebody who would be starting kindergarten in September? Yes. Yes, we, we do see students that are transitioning into kindergarten. Okay. And they wouldn't have a TVI yet, a teacher of the visually impaired. So would that just be a family referral? Uh, typically, if it's a four-year-old, we, um, we receive the information from the early intervention specialists um, with the, okay. yeah, that's where we would get the referrals from for them. Right. Awesome. Um, so after grade 12, um, because Nika and I kind of are both in that age where we're in university, is there something offered, uh, not necessarily by the low vision clinic, but similar to this, because I would still love to get the chance to go to something like this, where you can, um, test out new technology or, um, get a one-on-one, 
you know, session with a doctor and get more information about your visual impairment, because again, normal doctors don't usually uh, provide this. Uh, would you know anything about that? Well, I do know that there's a low vision clinic that is run through the children's, I believe through children's hospital that sees student, older students. I can't tell you the exact name of that clinic. Um, I also know that of course the um, Vision Loss Rehabilitation Canada has people, uh, formerly CNIB, they have people that are trained in low vision devices to, um, to talk with clients. And I also know that the, you know, the big low vision device companies deal specifically with optometrist offices to have some of their devices available to try at, at optometry offices. So it is a bit of a different, um, it is a bit of a different, you know, game when it gets to out of, out of high school. Um, I know it's, it's not as, it's more challenging, I guess, I would say, to access these services. You kind of have to be your own advocate and detective to get to, to where you need to be. When the students are, are leaving grade 12, we really try to um, load them up with whatever we can for their future um, with devices and that sort of thing so that when they graduate, they have their toolbox of devices um, ready to go. And I should also mention that this lending library of devices is free of charge. We do not charge anything to provide these devices for the, the students. And do they get to keep them when they graduate? Yes. Awesome. Yeah. And we also have like, say a student's monocular breaks or there something happens to a device. We've started, um, asking the students to write us a letter, so as part of self-advocacy, to tell us what happened and why that device is helpful to them and could we uh, replace it for them. Or if they need a higher magnification, could we exchange it? Love that. Mm -hmm. That's actually one of my favorite aspects because it's been nine years and I still have and use my technology and they have been very well loved, let's put it that <laughs> Yes, the well-loved devices. <laughs> um, okay, and my second one, my second question was, um, so we've talked about the process if a child wants to uh, visit the clinic and how that works. Uh, I have a question about if a professional is interested in being part of the clinic, because when I was there, I remember doctors and staff being like from all different kind of backgrounds in different countries as well. Like they, they've had like very unique backgrounds. So I'm curious what that process is like if they are interested in being a part of low vision clinic. Is it something that you guys approach them or are they able to come to you for a position? Um, we haven't, well, we haven't really had to replace any team members for a while, um, whether it was due to retirement or moving away. But certainly people are, if people are interested in, in learning more about the project, we're always open to having guests attend and they, they just technically, you know, send me an email to let me know who they are. And we have it, I check with the team. We do have to be cognizant of how many people are in the room and, and what they're there for. But um, we encourage the students from the UBC teacher program to come to the clinic to learn about it before they start onto their careers 
We have community partners at clinics when possible. So Sean has come with Blind Beginnings to be able to speak to families during clinic. We have PRCBI, Adam and Jen attend all our clinics so that they, the teachers and the families can learn about the materials that they can provide. We have BC Blind Sports uh, visit clinics to, to give information to families about their programs. So we try to be as inclusive as we can in the field of blindness and visual impairment so that families and, and students, you know, have access to these people. But we also are very welcoming to other professionals in the field to learn about what we're doing. Yeah, it's been fun hanging out at, with everybody and kind of seeing the magic that happens at these clinics for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming with COVID, you're going to probably have to minimize some of yeah. the people. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to have to minimize and all the fun things that happen at Adam's table, all the, <laughs> yes. all the games and books and things, that's all going to have to change for now. Um, the other thing I didn't mention is that this project has been modeled in Alberta. Many years ago, I went to Alberta and helped them get their team up and running. So they have a very similar similar project in Alberta, which is, is wonderful. And we would love to spread the love across the country. We're always, uh, you know, we do presentations at conferences and try to get the word out about what we're doing to, to bring this service to other provinces. Awesome. Sounds, well, it doesn't sound, it is amazing. I know it's amazing. (laughs) I just wanted to say thank you so much for everything you do. And I'm really excited that the low vision clinic is coming back. And I'm just really happy that students will be able to access this and hopefully be able to get some support. You are most welcome, Nika. And I, I really appreciate your input from both of you today. Um, for other students to listen to this and learn and and imagine going to their vision teacher and saying, hey, can I go to the low vision clinic this year? Um, that's pretty empowering and uh, exactly what we, we try to do for students. So you're most welcome. Mm-hmm. I'm super grateful that I had the opportunity to go there. I am as well. I, I, I have like no bad memories of it. It has just been such a wonderful experience through and through both times that I went, um, everything that we kind of talked about today, I vaguely remember doing them with my <laughs> OM instructor, with my vision teacher. It's been quite a few years, but I, I do remember I have my uh, monocular right here next to me. And wow. It just reminds me of like how much um, how much like kids can get from these from the low vision clinic. Uh, like we said, like like Nika said, we still use our technology to this day, and we're like both a university and. It's just, we can't emphasize how, how great the work that you guys do is. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm also low-key slightly jealous you got to go twice. <laughs> <laughs> Bragging rights now? Okay. I, <laughs> I'll bring that up next time we talk. That's hilarious. Uh, thank you so much, Lynn, for joining us today. I hope that uh, people are learning who are learning about this for the first time will have a chance to get the referrals in. So what is the website? Where can they find more information uh it's www.clvp-bc.com awesome well good luck with the covid or post-covid clinics that sounds extra challenging but i'm sure you guys are 
we'll figure out a way to make it work. Yeah, we're uh, we're actually going to have our very first team Zoom meeting in uh, a couple of weeks so that we we haven't seen each other for almost two years. So we're excited mm-hmm. to come back together and put our energy into into what it's going to look like in the new year. So thank you so much for having me and letting me uh, talk about what I what I love to do with my work. Yeah. No, our pleasure. Well, thank you, Ishita and Nika, for joining me today and sharing your experiences as well. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. If you have a question, a comment, a future topic request, please send us an email to limitless at blindbeginnings.ca. Please share our podcast with a friend, like, subscribe, and join us next time. This podcast has been brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted, along with their families. Music for this podcast is composed by Sean Bishop and Clement Chow. Production and audio editing by Rob Minot. For more information about Blind Beginnings and the work it does to support children and youth who are blind and partially sighted, along with their families, visit us on the web at www.blindbeginnings.ca and also remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We thank you for joining us and we look forward to seeing you next time.